Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 27, Squash It. Mary, what happened this week? Valerie makes it her mission to get Ray to stop being on tour for Donna, but also because she's struggling to find reliable talent for the pee pad that isn't fish puns. She gives Steve and David permission to run a hip-hop night while dodging calls and visits from disgruntled almost performers, Australian death metal band Bloody Rue. David makes a little music friend in Willie the Fry Cook's nephew, Jawan, and invites him to play on stage at the club with him. Steve thinks that's a bad idea because Steve is still racist and thinks inviting Jawan's friends isn't a good idea. He thinks it will risk him getting in trouble for doing things that he's not supposed to be doing anyway. Steve quits, leaving the pee pad without management because Val fucked off to Reno to visit Ray in person because he hung up on her. Anything to stop Donna from asking questions like, what happened between you and Ray? A hip-hop night ends in disaster when Bloody Rue arrives to fuck shit up. Dylan is successfully hypnotized by Dr. Molly and gets past life regressed to a guy on a train who turns out wasn't a great dude. Brandon babysits and goes full Brandon on a rude child who is smart enough to go to MIT and Harvard and stuff. I feel like it was such a comment for this kid to be like, who chooses CU over Harvard? I mean, where's the lie, though? Like, we've been saying this this whole time. It's like, CU's a state school. It's not, it's trying, it, yeah, yeah. So good on you, kid, for realizing you have bigger things to do. <laughs> that small child, like, I guess I just want to talk about him first because it made me laugh so much that when they first get to campus and the chancellor is talking to Brandon about this guy and is like, oh my God, he's just like you. He's so smart, blah, blah, blah. He got a 1600 on his SAT. It's like, <laughs> oh, I forgot. Brandon is golden boy. Yeah, but like false smart. Like he didn't, he's not just like Brandon. He did, Brandon got like C's through his senior year of high school or something. Yeah, he stopped caring. Yeah. I just loved Chancellor being like, he needs someone like you who can speak his own language. I was like, then call Andrea. Right? I'm like, who's this an insult to? Is it Brandon for his like maturity or is it Warren for his being the fact that he's a teenager? I don't or like a child? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, truly, like the only good thing Brandon has going for taking a thirteen around thirteen year old around is his friends. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, what's Brandon going to take him to? A task force meeting? No, we don't think those happen anymore. A student senate meeting? Apparently those only happen occasionally and when people des- when people demand them. So where else? The peach pit? Yeah, to see the friends. I would love if Brandon was like, I have to hold office hours. You can just sit in the corner. <laughs> can you imagine Brandon having office hours? No one would go to see him and Warren would just be like, so this is just a title, right? This is a formality, huh? <laughs> he would totally see through it. Oh, for sure. I mean, the kid, like, we first meet him because Chancellor Arnold brings Brandon around campus, brings him to, I guess, his office. And Warren doesn't even respond when Brandon says hello because he's messing with a, his words, not mine, multitasking notebook. 
he got from visiting MIT. MIT. <laughs> it's a Palm Pilot. And I loved yeah. the fake typing he was doing. It just made me so happy. It was just like three fingers on his right hand. Well, and I think what like threw me was the angle, the, the camera angle of this shot made it look like he was in a fisheye. So the Palm Pilot looked larger than it was. <laughs> like, like he's holding up a laptop really close to his face, just like clawing at it. <laughs> the director is like, how do we make this child look as small as possible? Right, exactly. And I actually, to that point, oh my God, did they have to make sure that he looks smaller than Brandon? Oh my God. (laughs) I didn't even think about it. That's why he called Brandon to be like, he needs someone who could talk to him on his level. Literally. His height level. Oh my God, this is gold. This is gold. (laughs) Well, you even look at some of the angles that they do the rest of the time. Like when... You know, he ends up seeing Valerie in her bathrobe later on. They're almost filming it from like a lower vantage point so that Brandon looks like he's tall, a lot taller. (laughs) And it still doesn't work. He doesn't look that much taller. I know. I mean, yeah, you're right, though. They do have to constantly make sure that like um, Warren looks young, acts young, even though he's got this huge IQ and whatnot. I mean, he's getting a freaking like banana split Sunday thing. So, which, okay, if my student union in college had made that, I would have gotten that every freaking day. <laughs> I got to be honest, though. I was very suspicious. I was like, how old are those bananas? <laughs> You're like, what's the health code? <laughs> like, I just don't trust that a coffee shop is going to be able to fully make a banana split for a child. That's fair. Like, it's not on the menu, but like he asked for it as like a secret item or something. <laughs> Secret it's just bananas and whipped cream and like mocha <laughs> sauce. Right. I mean, at that point, he should have just gotten like a frappuccino. Yeah, that's a good point. Those are basically the same thing. Right. And then <laughs> he would have looked more like a grown up on campus rather than like, this is my 13 year old friend with his banana split. See, this is why Dylan needed to take him around and not Brandon because Dylan would make him look sophisticated and older. It's very true. And it can't be Andrea because Andrea would treat him like a child. Like her child. Yeah. (laughs) But he gets this banana split and we have this like brief moment where Donna comes up to Brandon looking for Valerie. And this is the first time we see Warren act like a disgusting 13 year old and be like, this is something about Donna's upper body pride. I didn't write it down because I immediately wanted to forget that I ever heard that. I had to write it down because I didn't get it. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like they were trying to say she should be proud of her chest. I don't know. I'm not a 13-year-old boy, nor do I think 13-year-old boys actually say shit like that. I know. Like, I I really feel like he would have called them boobies. (laughs) Nearly almost bat my drink everywhere on my nice (laughs) new setup. (laughs) But he wants Warren wants Brandon to show him something interesting. And Brandon's like, oh, well, there's this like fuzzy math display or whatever. And Warren's like, I was doing fuzzy math like five years ago. I understand that you might not have gotten there yet. And I truly love that Warren already has this whole thing pegged where he's like, you have to understand if I'm happy, the chancellor's happy. If I'm not happy, 
the chancellor is unhappy. And that gets Brandon to his core of just like, I can't disappoint the chancellor. Well, that and like this kid didn't get to have like basically the equivalent of an athlete's official visit to all of these universities by being dumb. Like if there's anything this kid would lack at this point is street smarts, not literal actual like academic smarts and things like that. So he he doesn't like he doesn't it's not lost on him that he is the prized possession here, right? Like all these schools are trying to get him to come to their schools so that I think his words were like something about the the research grant potential that he brings by just coming to the school, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a commodity and he knows it. So he's like the chancellor chose you for a reason. You're supposed to make me happy. If I'm not happy, I don't go to your school. If I don't go to your school, your school doesn't get money. So who's really in charge here? Which I think is probably the only thing I really like Warren saying for most of, if not this entire episode. Mm-hmm. Like other than that, he's just mean and gross. But yeah. I love this where he's like, look, I know what I am. So just like show me a good time for 24 hours. Right. And I mean, I'm trying to think if I were in Brandon's shoes, what would I do? And I honestly think I'd just be like, sorry, Chancellor Arnold. I tried, but this kid's a dick. You don't want him here anyway. I would definitely not take him to a frat house. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not do that. (laughs) Like, honestly, it's disgusting, but, like, everything leading up to the frat house is probably, like, a day Warren's never going to forget. Like, when yeah. he goes to the Walsh's and sees Valerie in her robe, like, there you go. She's a student at CU. You don't get that at Harvard, I guess. <laughs> or you might, but why take the chance? <laughs> exactly. You want those California girls. That's right. Even if she's not a true California girl. Oh, speaking of, I have to talk about that. Well, I guess we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with Warren, but I'm so excited to talk about something with Valerie right around that time. I I think I wrote it down too. (laughs) I hope so. It was blatantly obvious. It was so obvious. We'll get there (laughs) when we get there. Yeah. But yeah, like, first of all, he's so smug. He walks in the house. He's like, Cornell would have put me up in a five-star hotel. I'm like, okay. (laughs) cool I think my favorite part of this whole scene is when he gives Jim advice on how to do his job (laughs) they talk accounting they talk about something something amortization (laughs) reverse amortizations oh excuse me Uh, and then he's a dick and he makes a comment about Jim going bald and he's like Brandon I hope you got your mom's DNA yeah like which Clearly he did. Like go like you've seen Cindy, you fool. Also, this child, if he's as smart as he says he is, should know that male pattern baldness um goes through the mother genetically. Right. Idiot. Dumb Idiot. kid. <laughs> Cornell doesn't get want any you. endowments. <laughs> yeah. My God. what if Brandon just like called the Chancellor right then and was like Let me tell you how this kid does not understand DNA, something I learned in seventh grade. (laughs) Yeah. You remember when we had to mark the little cross thing where you say blue eyes, brown eyes, and what the probability is that your kid's going to have it? Yeah. He didn't do that. He skipped that day. I also love that Warren makes fun of Brandon for living with his parents when, like, you're 13. 
What do you think you do, punk? (laughs) You're going to be living with your parents for a long time. Yeah, because you literally cannot have your own apartment or your own, like, living situation. Like, I don't know if they allow 13, 14-year-olds to live on campus at a college dorm because you're not an adult. I mean, it sounds like in this scenario, he would have to, right? If he's going to a school that's not near where he lives. But at the same time, like, I think you're right. I mean, think about it. Like, now, granted, I've never seen, obviously, we've seen this scenario many, many times in television of a child who's a prodigy, basically, you know, visiting a school and a student's, for some reason, being responsible for them. But I've never seen that part, right? Like, if we know the actual execution of that child going to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, at... Kennesaw I think the youngest people that I knew that went there were 16 and they all like they were the dual dual enrollment kids and they all lived in their own dorm Mm, yeah that would make sense Mm -hmm. but I mean 16 is a lot different from 13 yeah it totally is I mean even 17 and and that too but yeah I mean there's just a whole bunch of logistical nightmare that has to take place in order to have a child go to college, including but not limited to the fact that there are frat houses and that's where they go next. And I love that Kelly is there too. And she's not like, this is un- inappropriate. You can't just like bring this here. Yeah. First of all, I might add, this is Kelly's only scene and we didn't have her all of last episode. I know. Why? There are so, <laughs> there are so many people that did so little and I'm just like, I feel like I'm waiting for something to happen. Like Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for a huge Kelly episode or like an episode that requires all of them to like go on location or something. Yeah, go camping again or something or go to Palm Springs. Oh my God. I hope they go to Palm Springs with David's grandparents again. If only. That would be so cute. But yeah, apparently like Warren does something weird to Kelly I assumed I didn't see anything. I assumed he grabbed her ass. So I thought so. So I backed it up and I was looking for it. And I'm thinking that's probably what they intended by the reaction, but they couldn't have a 13 year old or however old the actor who played Warren was pinching a 20 something year old's ass. So that's probably what they intended to or having the pool stick like hit her or something like that and imply something else. I think he, like, poked her with the pool cue because then he starts, like, brandishing it and fucking knocks Steve's drink down. Yeah, his, like, pitcher of lemonade or margaritas or whatever he's supposed to have. It's gotta be margaritas. (laughs) Yeah, I have to assume it's alcohol. And, again, how can you bring a 13-year-old in a frat house where they are actively drinking? Exactly, yes. Where he could easily put his hands on all of it. Right. And Steve who we will get to when we get to him, makes a comment about how they're definitely pledging Warren so that Warren will do his homework. Which is a Steve comment, but not the Steve comment I expected because I have expected him to, like, hope his parents are big boosters or something and provide a lot of money to the frat or something. You know what I mean? Like, I could see it of going, you know, one of two ways and it just went the way I didn't expect. Yeah, but it's still I think appropriate. that's because, yeah, I was thinking along the lines of, like, Steve has been trying to coast for years. True. Which is kind of hilarious because, like, 
I feel like he found a thing he could be good at and he should want to devote the time and effort to it. Mm-hmm. But he's Steve. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, anyway, you know, Warren knocks over this drink. He does whatever he does to Kelly. And Brandon screams at him, which, like, I get being frustrated, but Warren is just a kid. Yeah, and Steve, I mean, Kelly even says as much, like, Brandon, he's just a little boy. And it's true. And I think for Brandon, like, you got to know, like, we just talked about, you can't put him in a situation, like, set him up to fail, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's a kid in a brand new world, basically, even though he's been to some of the Ivies and MIT and things like that. It's like, this is not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what we talked about, I think, last episode, how, like, everyone treats David like he's an adult, but he's just a kid when you get down to it. And then, like, Mm -hmm. Warren is even more of a little kid. Like, he's literally a teenager. He's a little baby. Right. Exactly. And Steve tries to go after him, which is a little weird, but he's like, he's gone. Doors open. He's gone. Yeah, so everybody freaks out. It's all a thing. Because, of course, where would a 13-year-old go and why, you know, like how would we, especially in the 90s, figure out where he went? So luckily, um, Brandon just goes home because he's like, who will know what to do? My dad. And luckily, Steve and Chancellor Arnold had apparently called Jim and Brandon's like, well, good. I don't know where he is. And then <laughs> Cindy's just like, um, don't worry. He's here. It's all good. Solving problems the only way the Walshes know how. Two scoops of ice cream. That's right. So Cindy tells Brandon, like, he comes into the kitchen. He's like, oh, Warren's here. Good. I want to kill him. And Cindy's like, <laughs> after you eat ice cream and after you talk. Yes. And thankfully... Warren is very open to this whole talking idea. I guess the ice cream, you know, calmed him down. And he's like, well, I don't like being yelled at, so I left. (laughs) And then he says that he doesn't want to go to college because he doesn't want to leave his family. And he doesn't want to leave his room. And he doesn't want to leave his dog. And in, like, the rudest slash nicest way that I think Brandon can do, he was like, you know, state schools are right by your house. Yeah. I mean, he just, he's like, you don't have to leave all that just because you're super smart. Like you can still get a, he basically is saying you can still get a great education by staying close to home, but he doesn't say that. Um, But yeah, I mean, even like comes full circle because he made fun of Brandon for living at home, but that's actually what he wants to do. Right. And so by going Mm -hmm. to a state school, you can actually live at home and commute. Yeah, which I'm sure was supposed to be a thing. Like, he made fun of Brandon because he's nervous about leaving his home kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. Except he was just a dick, and that's all there was to it. (laughs) Oh, he's definitely a little butthead, and it's not going to go well for him, and he's not going to make any friends if he doesn't tone his shit down. True. And, I mean, really, like, Brandon essentially is just like all on his own little island for this entire episode. Mm-hmm. So I think we can go all the way back up to the top and talk about the A plot with Hip Hop Night. Let's do it. So the episode opens with Ray finishing a show, which 
they didn't cut anything out, but I think it's hilarious that we just see him walking off the stage. We still have not seen this boy perform. God, I know. I like. It's almost just a bit at this point. Like, that they're just not going to show us. And they're like, how, how can we show you that he just performed, but you missed it again? And, like, even the show, the show is, like, he is so good. He's amazing. Like, it makes sense that he was a headliner for the pee pad and that he is going on this massive tour because there's essentially a groupie, I guess, backstage who's like, well, I'm a music appreciation major and I would love to show you how much I appreciate your music. Ugh, barf. Right? Like, what a line. The whole time I was like writing it down, expecting it to actually go somewhere of like the way that you play like the A leading into the F and then you like blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. no. Yeah. It it was only to show us like that now Ray is so popular that he's getting groupies, you know, like he's getting the attention that Donna was always worried about. And oh boy, is Ray going to pull a David and cheat on Donna, not with somebody that is in her friend group, but with a random stranger. Yep. And I mean, I guess lucky for Donna and us and kind of Ray, he's getting a phone call. And yeah, it's definitely thing. He's like, oh, that's my girlfriend. And he picks up and Donna's like, how did you know it was me? (laughs) And I also wonder that, like, there's no way. There's no, well, there's no way that he knew it was Donna, but there's also no way that that payphone just starts ringing and it's for him. Like, that's the stuff out of literally, like, Scary Movie and, like, Scream and the Boy Meets World Sean episode where he's the killer. Like, (laughs) that's the stuff that only happens then. Um, But luckily, I guess, it it is Donna, so he cannot just say, hey, Donna, and it be Donna, or or it just be somebody, but it's actually Donna. Yeah, and, you know, she's so excited that his tour is going well, but she really wants him to come back to California. And long story short, Ray does not want to come back to L.A. and is very rude about it. Yeah, it was really weird because, like, I guess he gets frustrated at first because Donna's, you know, saying that, like, the pee pad's doing an open mic night to sound or just to try to get better better talent, more talent, whatever, because they're having trouble booking talent. And she suggests that Ray and Val talk so that Ray could come back to the B-pad. So, you know, obviously that ticks Ray off because of all the stuff that went down with Valerie last time. But then he just like jumps down her throat and it's like, I don't need you as my manager, like whatever. And she's all, well, no, I'm I'm not trying to be. I'm just excited to see you. Like, it's been two months. I just want you to come home. And he's like, well, don't count on me. It's complicated. Like, I don't like your friends. I don't like your family. I'm not in a hurry. Just, I should be on tour and you should come with me. And she's like, and do what? <laughs> and then he says, well, I thought you loved me. Again, the classic signs of throwing the L word back in someone's face when there's bad behavior. And isolating her from her friends and family by saying that he doesn't like them and that she needs to leave them to come be with him. Like, Yeah. It's like they opened up a book of like how to tell if you're in an abusive relationship and are literally just following it point by point by point. And Exactly. It's so upsetting because it feels like all of this is happening to Donna and she's just not – talking about it and then like 
it's not like her friends and Valerie and all these people are even helping. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, the only person who really knows at least these kinds of details about their relationship is David. But Donna's made it pretty clear that, like, she's not interested in David. So he's not really looking like it's it it kind of seems especially by the end of this episode it seems like david has kind of got the memo that donna is not interested in him so he should probably go do his own thing right mm-hmm. so he's not necessarily thinking like oh here's an opening for me ray's treating donna bad i should go talk to her i should help things i should fix things because then it'll make us closer maybe initially he was but definitely not now so he's the only one with that information and he's just not going to share it with anybody else why would he well and you know don't forget that last episode val or last episode donna was just like no we're fine everything is good Mm -hmm. we're happily in love she's staring at him lovingly up on the stage like you know david saw glimpses of it but he still doesn't even get a full picture exactly like whatever his personal feelings toward ray you know he trusts donna and if she says she's okay she's okay yeah, and so Donna hangs up the phone. She goes over to the pee pad from the peach pit, and the open mic night is very weird. It's like interpretive dance about being a fish, mm-hmm. and very interesting choice for a club, but I guess it's an open mic night. You can do whatever you want, and while all of this is happening on stage, Valerie and Steve are having a conversation about how the pee pad has this whole identity crisis now that Ray is gone. Uh, Valerie saying they can't afford midweek bands. So we start getting this idea that like not only has Valerie herself run out of money, but it sounds like the club is running out of money. Right. Like they can't afford the same quality that they did have. And now they're just not able to even secure anyone. So they're having to go down this route of interpretive performance in fully lit club it was so bright I wrote that down I was like I mean I guess this is like the stage lighting but this feels like it's two o'clock in the afternoon yeah exactly which would say a lot I guess about the peach pat peach pit after dark if they were having to host things at two o'clock in the afternoon to try to make some money I, I mean this club is just odd exactly um but then like Right right away, you know, Val is upstairs in the office and Steve comes up and he's kind of talking about this stuff, too. He's like, you know, the peach pad. I keep saying peach pad. Man, I can't get that out of my mouth. The peach pit after dark has an identity crisis. They can't find their footing. They don't know who they are. Blah, blah, blah. And so Steve's like, we should do a hip hop night. David should be the headliner or at least fronting it or whatever. And. That's when Val's like, well, she gets a phone call, right? And she's talking to someone, blah, 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 blah. It's an Australian death metal band. That was a choice. (laughs) I know. And, like, the idea that she even says, like, oh, I almost booked them, which we find out later she literally did book them and then bailed on them. (laughs) Like, for this club to be like, no, we're not doing hip hop, and then to sign a death metal band, a choice. It just reminds me when Claire, and I guess it was David, were auditioning bands and we just heard that one band that was like saying the same line over and over and over. Mm -hmm. That's what it made me think of. But so I wonder if it was, you know, quote unquote them, but not them. And their name is Bloody Rue, which gross. Right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) 
I feel like they didn't try very hard with the Australian death metal band. I gotta be honest. Oh, definitely not. Especially when we hear them talk. But why did it Valerie, have to be Australian? They could have just been a death metal band. Exactly, like an American death metal band. <laughs> like, Done. Don't have to do any hard work. Um, but yeah, so then Valerie is like, "Well, it sounds like my options are Bloody Rue, Spawning Salmon Ballet, and the Steve Sanders Special." And then she tells him, "Just don't burn the place down." Which sick burn. Ouch. <laughs> sick burn, Val. Like, I was a little conflicted in this scene because, like, Steve is not supposed to be involved in the club. Yes. But there is this part of me before Steve does everything else he does in this episode where he finds out that David wants to be back on stage and, like, actually tries to help him with it. And I was like, it's kind of adorable that Steve wants to help his friend out when, like, they had a really bad falling out in high school and – now David needs help, and he's just like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Well, I think it like it hits on a couple of things, right? Steve's desire to have friends, right? He wants to have people in his corner, have people around him, all that stuff. He is totally an extrovert, so he needs that. But then to what you said earlier about how we wish that Steve would just stick to the thing that he's good at and really embrace it, and that is like kind of – in the music manager role. Like we know he's not that good at it yet, but there's so many things that he can learn. And this is one of them, right? Like even though he's not supposed to be doing it, you can tell he has passion for it. And so, you know, because not only is this a chance for him to get quote unquote back in the biz, he also gets to do that with his like former best friend. So like, it's that conflicting thing of wanting to root for Steve, but also understanding that Steve is not the best guy. Yeah, and I got to be honest, I think this episode like really put the nail in the coffin on Steve. I know. I know. It's very, very hard to come back from where Steve is right now. And this episode wasn't even a highly emotional one. You know, mm-hmm. like this was this felt like a filler episode. So for us to have this kind of reaction to Steve on a filler episode is something yeah and that happens in a while because first you know the performance the fish performance is over david goes to offer donna a ride home and she's like no i'm gonna stay with claire for a while and david says okay catch you later and claire just like bites his head off she's like oh my god is that making fun of my act what are you doing yeah she's like taking it personally for more reasons than one you know, because they broke up, because she's deciding to do this open mic night, like whatever, whatever. And then David's like, hmm, you know what, Steve? I, I feel like I uh, want some sushi. <laughs> so he just like falls into it and is like, whatever, Claire. And so he's gone. Steve leaves too. And Donna's like, man, everyone is at each other's throats, including Ray. Um. You know, because obviously she just got her head bit off by Ray and then mm. Claire just bit off David. It really does seem like all, not all the friends, because obviously like Don and Claire are cool, but a lot of the friends are just kind of like snippy with each other these days. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like it says something that, you know, Donna mentioned this Ray thing, but Claire is so wrapped up in her emotions with David that she just doesn't think to question it, which, yeah, I mean, fair. Like she says that. Like what makes her part of what makes her really mad is that she misses David. 
Mm-hmm. And so like she's got all these emotions going on in her head and she just doesn't think to ask Donna about what's going on with like, oh, Ray just bit your head off too? What happened? You guys are like actually supposed to be in love versus me and David. Right. And I think that like that just kind of confirms like everybody's kind of consumed in their own stuff that then it's easy to become sniffy, snippy with each other because they're not really listening to each other and not really like having conversations. They're just like, this is what's going on in my life. Well, this is what's going on in my life. Well, I hate you. Okay, bye. Like it's, you know, it's tenuous at best. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a classic, like you're all in your 20s, you're getting busy, you're starting to do your own thing and you and your mm-hmm. friends just like don't have the time to invest in each other's emotional lives. Yeah, exactly. And, like, as you grow older, you learn to like dial it back and be more involved. But there is definitely, I feel like, a, a time in a lot of people's lives where they're just like, I have to deal with the peach pit and I'm booking all these bands and my ex-boyfriend is really hot and I'm still really mad at him and he used to date my friend and like Claire's busy. I mean, I remember, like, obviously I didn't have near as much going on as like what these kids do in this show, but I definitely remember when I was like 21, 22 in my like last couple years of college, totally being all consumed in my boyfriend who was Nate at the time. And we've been together forever at this point, but it's like I neglected, you know, being a really good friend to people. And if I were to have a conversation with especially this one person that I just kind of ghosted, who was my best friend in college, I would totally be like, yeah, I was stupid. You know, like I was so consumed in this boy who, granted, of course, things worked out and are great, but I should I should have never like chosen a boy over my best friend. And not that I really did, but I wasn't a great friend, you know, so it's like it's totally easy to make this connection to the friend group right now because like no one's really being that great of a friend to each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, like. I feel like anyone can relate to what's happening here where like people are saying things and your friend is just like not really picking up on like the need you have to talk about this stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so the next morning, I assume sometime in the daytime, David comes to the pee pad and he's got all of his equipment set up and he's going to go in and like practice his set, I guess, like do a sound check, whatever. And there's somebody up on the stage kind of messing with his stuff. And he even says that he's like, why are you messing with my stuff? You need to, you know, get away. And Juana's like, I didn't do anything. It was mm-hmm. just here. Yeah. He like immediately gets defensive. Um, I mean, you can see like, as soon as David walks in, he's like putting stuff down. He's like up in his face, all this. And he's like, what are you going to do? Call the cops. And you can tell this is a very like tense situation. And David's just like, Hey man, like, you know how it goes. Like, anybody touches your stuff, you don't you don't want them doing that. Um, but luckily then he explains that his name is Juwan and he's Willie's nephew. Um, and Willie, as we all know and remember, is a cook for Nat at the Peach Pit. And so David handles the situation great. You know, he's just like, hey, man, don't touch my stuff. But also like, hi, I'm David Silver. Like, can you show me what you did? Because that was really cool. And tries to just diffuse the situation, and he does. And so they start playing together, you know, all this stuff until Willie comes in and says, like, hey, man, you're, you know, you've got to get going. Your shift just started. Yeah. And that's really like 
all I have to say about that scene is what exactly happened. Other than the second I saw Joanna up on the stage, I texted Marion because she had already watched the episode and I was like, oh, it's that kind of episode. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, you just know because there are never people of color on the screen unless they are very specifically there for a reason. Right. Right. And even if you didn't make that assumption, as soon as he says, what are you going to do, call the cops? You're like, shit. Yeah. you Because know even today, going. in 2021, we know what that means. Oh, yeah. And I I know. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, it turns out that Joanna is supposed to be working at the peach pit and just like wandered over here because his shift hadn't started yet, Mm -hmm. which I really love. Like we find out later that Nat has given him a job to, quote unquote, keep him off the streets. And I just I love how Nat gives people jobs. Oh, yeah. Well, and he gives he gives them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, he doesn't just assume that you are everything people say you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's always willing to give somebody a break, give them a chance, get to know the person for who they are. I mean, for not knowing a whole lot about Nat, like, we do know he's a good guy. And he, I mean, he opens his doors to the homeless at Thanksgiving and Christmas or Christmas or around that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's given Steve a job. He's given Dylan a job. He's given Brandon a job. He's given Brenda a job. Like, there's been so many people he's just like gone out on limb for. So it it is nice. It it's it's a sweet thing. Yeah, I love it so much. So meanwhile, on CU's campus, Donna has gone to Vine Val, which I love. I guess Val is just like still at college. I don't really think about it, even though we've seen her on campus a ton. I feel like I mention this every time she's on campus. <laughs> I just feel like she has like the best schedule ever. Like when she does she go to, to go to class? Like she's gonna have like Mondays at eight a.m. You know, like she maybe she does all her eight a.m. classes, you know, and then just goes to the pee pad afterwards. Yeah, she's like a part time student. She just hangs out on campus when she's not at the pee pad, which who could blame her? Mm-hmm. But Donna goes up and finds her and asks her. She's like, "Hey, what happened between you and Ray? Because like he really hates you." So this scene was great, and the reason it was great was, A, the writing, which, man, how many times have we said that? (laughs) But then, B, freaking Tiffany at the time, Amber Thiessen, I love her so much. Like, what we know of her is almost killing me, because we, the audience know so much (laughs) and the characters her supposed friends know so little it's like I've never watched all of Game of Thrones but it's like Jon Snow you know nothing or you know nothing Jon Snow whatever it is because I feel like that for every character that interacts with Valerie and I am like on pins and needles every time she talks to another character because I'm like what is she gonna say is it gonna be the truth is it gonna be a half truth is it gonna be completely fake are they just gonna believe her because she's so charming what I love you (laughs) I mean, seriously, I was on the edge of my seat because she's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I was like, oh, my God, are you really going to do it? Is it going to happen? But she does it so well and so sincerely to just lie straight to Donna's face. She's like, look, when we first met, I thought he was really attractive. And I guess I gave him mixed signals. 
And Donna is like, has this pit in her stomach and Val's like, but he really loves you. Dude, like master manipulator. Like <laughs> literally when she said, I guess I may have given him some mixed signals. I was like, Val, <laughs> you in guess bed. you may have given mixed, like literally each word could be emphasized to like parse out and be like, this is what, why this is wrong. <laughs> and I love, like, she's just so manipulative. She's like, look, if Ray wants to come back, he's got a place to play. And I love Donna being like, perfect. Call him in Reno. God. Like, yeah. She plays every hand to her advantage. She might have the shittiest hand that the dealer could have ever dealt her, but somehow she still wins the game. She gets everyone else to fold. Like, she is just a classic agent of chaos, and I love it. And I remember loving her, but hating her a lot more when I first watched this because I was a lot younger. But now I'm like, oh, girl, you might be like, top tier character i honestly i bet that was the most fun character to play ever like oh for sure when they audition you for that role and they're like you must have range oh yeah i have range well because the beautiful thing about it is she does get to play both right it is not she is not a one-dimensional baddie you know like there are some characters out there that they read, they pick up the sides for their audition and they're like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm about. Like, I'm a bad person. And they themselves have to almost develop this kind of, well, why am I bad? You know, how did I get to be like this? Whatever. No, no. Valerie gets to play the full gamut of it. And it is, I love it so much. It's so perfect. And I just love that Donna just, I mean, I hate that Donna falls for it, but I love that Donna is just like, yes, he's in Reno. Here's his phone number. Just call him. Well, like, and she's being true to character too. No, she is just like setting this up so perfectly and she just wants to help Ray even though he's told her he doesn't want to help. Like everyone yeah. is exactly what I expected them to be and I was still like on the edge of my seat like how is this going to unfold? Exactly, for sure. So while they're talking, we go back to the peach pit where David is trying to convince Willie to let Jawan play with him and Willie is like, no, no, he's – in trouble like this is not a good idea and then steve walks in and this is the moment that i have officially given up on steve yeah you aren't kidding i mean his face immediately when he sits down with david david says like he wants to dj with juan I don't want to quote it, but I have to quote it. I mean, you guys, listeners, you know what we're talking about. But Steve says that gangster kid, he says it twice, first of all, because mm-hmm. he says it the first time too loud, apparently. said so that kid that Nat's, Nat's letting wash dishes so he's not on the streets shooting people. Nat calls him out on it and is like, hey, you, you should believe in giving people second chances, mister. I'm on my fifth chance. That's the thing. Like, he says something later on, and I'll bring it up when we get there, that I'm like, this is pot, meat, kettle, like, all of the things. But I'm just like, are you serious? Like, what kind of white boy privilege are you dealing with right now? It drives me nuts because Steve is like, oh, well, I deserved my chances because I'm not out doing drive-by shootings or selling drugs. But Steve caused a fire that could have killed people. 
Like exactly. Steve, if Steve was not a rich white boy, he would be in prison right now. Exactly. Like literally, I just there's nothing to say about it like we find out that juan has a parole officer and steve freaks out i'm like bruh you don't have a parole officer you should exactly like steve maybe you freaking should like after the amount of times you've almost been arrested you've almost been in jail the amount of times you've shown up in a courthouse these days like yeah how many times are you gonna break the law before you get a parole officer sir right like honestly at this point if Steve wasn't if his parents weren't rich he would be in so much trouble like think of the amount of things that he's done he's been arrested for B&E he's been arrested for the house fire he's been arrested actually for multiple B&Es and he's almost been expelled from school twice he did get expelled from school the first time and his mom got Mm -hmm. it undone like yep it makes me so mad that after all of this Steve has had no character growth and he doesn't check his privilege and they just make him the bad guy over and over again. And unfortunately, this was it. I'm done. I'm done with Steve. Yeah, like I said, it's hard to come back from this and it's hard to be redeeming. I mean, we talked about even earlier on how we're getting a little sick of the whiplash, like having to see Mm -hmm. Steve do something bad and then him get redeemed once again same thing happens just runs and repeat so it's already like really annoying to have to deal with that and now it's like okay this is too far I don't I know I know how Steve ends up and he does end up in a good place I mean everybody in the show ends up in a good place or at least you know relatively good place but how we're gonna get from here to there I'm not interested in at this time no I'm not interested at all thankfully that scene ends and David goes to like a community center or something where Juwan is in his conflict avoidance class. Mm-hmm. And this is where we learn about squash it. Yes. The namesake of this episode. <laughs> I cannot believe that this is squash it. Yeah. And it took a long time to get to the words squash it. So I was like, where are we going with this? Why is this video playing for so long while we're watching it? Um, but yeah, it's essentially just like, teaching people to avoid conflict, to not get in a fight, to like understand, yeah, sticks and stones, blah, blah, blah. It still hurts even even when people say bad things to you, but you just got to walk away. You got to squash it. (laughs) Every time they did the hand motion, I was like, well, this is my new favorite hand motion. Squash it. (laughs) Anytime someone goes for like a fist bump or a high five, I'm just going to do the opposite. (laughs) Squash it. Yep. Shut it down. (laughs) Shut it down. (laughs) And so the video finally ends. Everybody gets up. They go to leave. And David basically says that, like, he's got Willie's permission. He's got the parole officer's permission. He can keep Juwan out late at night as long as they're together. And, like, David is his white boy savior. Yeah. Cool. I guess I'm not mad about it. Fine. Whatever. I don't. I don't really care. That's yeah, I mean, I well, it's it's nice that David's not really concerned with any of the things that Steve is so clearly concerned with. Like, he's just like, nah, dude, like, you're a good DJ. I want you to play with me. That's all I care about. If I have to jump through some hoops and get things approved a certain way, then sure, I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I do re- really appreciate it at one point. I think Juwan says it and then 
David reacts to it where he's like, Willie thinks that gangsters and gangster rap are synonymous. And David's like, Mm -hmm. but it's not. And we can prove everyone wrong if you trust me. Exactly. Exactly. Which I do appreciate. For sure. Yeah. So we have a really weird scene at the Peach Pit where the quote unquote Australian death metal band, who is very clearly not Australian, shows up. The guy is looking for Val. And I'm sorry. What was this accent? I don't know. It was even a bad British accent. I don't understand. And, like, it was so bad. The necklace they put on the guy, like, this was bad. This was really bad. Why did you have to make him Australian? Yeah. He would have been just as effective with any other accent or no accent. Without that necklace. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I have problems with that necklace, and I don't exactly know how to verbalize them, but it was wrong, and I just know it was wrong. (laughs) Well, he, yeah, he is all sorts of wrong. Valerie, luckily, I guess, walks into the peach pit, almost said peach pad, peach pit, uh, right at the time that, like, we learn this guy's, his name's HUD, uh, is talking to Nat, looking for Valerie, and... She's like, I'm sorry, Valerie's not here right now, like she's an answering machine. And she's like, I'm Kristen, Kristen McDougal, which love that name. Love it. Off the top of her head. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he's just all up in arms about it and like upset because he's like, will you tell Valerie, you know, like she can't cancel on us or like la 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 la, whatever. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And we get this like little interlude. It's the only time Andrea is on screen where... We learn that she and Jesse are doing better. She's starting to like the idea of Idaho. And Claire and Donna and Andrea are all talking about how, like, none of them are having sex. Okay. And HUD comes over and asks Claire if she wants to – I don't even remember what it was called. But essentially, if she wants to lie on top of him so he can guess her weight. What? I forgot about that. Um, I didn't write it down. I – for what purpose? <laughs> like, like, who like, knew that Jason the Skis from Mean Girls had a better pickup line with, would you like me to butter your muffin or would you like me to assign someone to butter your muffin? I mean, let's talk about how a pickup line will always fail when you're like, how much do you weigh? Right? What? Like, I don't understand... What this person – he was a caricature. That's all he was. Yeah. I have nothing so else. So true. So true. So let's move on. Yeah. yeah. David and Juwan are mixing at the turntable. I don't know things. That sounds um, right. <laughs> and my only problem is, like, why was he – why was David crossing his arms so much? Like, why couldn't he just keep his arms – you know, like, he was mixing over here and then doing a little lever over here. It's like, could you not have just – spin spin lever lever with the hands where they go i it's either fancier or he can only do the record part with one of his hands right so like mm. maybe just go to the other side of the booth or turn or turn the turntable turn around. around the table does turn it's a turntable so just turn it just put, put the record hand- on the other side right yeah. just get a left-handed turntable yes 
or just turn it around. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, it was that was just my weird thing um, about this. But I actually thought this is not my quote of the week, but I just wanted to say it. I thought it was actually kind of funny when David was like, I may be white, but I ain't vanilla. Because I'm like, did people really hate vanilla ice? <laughs> and I loved that in my subtitles, vanilla was capitalized. Yes, 100%. That's how I like confirmed. Yep, they're talking about vanilla ice. <laughs> yeah, because earlier when they're at the peach pit earlier, uh, David is talking about how he wants to get like the fattest thing and it's pH fat both times. Yes, he's like the fatter the better and it was pH. <laughs> made me so happy. Yeah, I love that. Oftentimes yeah. like subtitles can be very, very wrong. But this was a time when they were very, very right. What if that wasn't the intended and whoever was doing the transcription for the subtitles was like, no, no, I think this is better. <laughs> I fix it. <laughs> and yeah, like they're having this great time together. You know, Joanna ends up asking David like, hey, why are you helping me? And David's like, I like music. Like mm -hmm. I want to do the best I can do. Yeah. And even offers Juwan, he's like, hey, invite your friends, take these flyers down to the uh, community center. Like, let's get more people to come to this thing because it's going to be good. That's literally all that's in his mind is the music is going to be good and people should come listen to it. Yep. Steve, on the other hand, brings everything down again. God, he walks in and just his face, like at the fact that he even saw Juwan, much less carrying the flyers that I assume David made, not Steve. Mm -hmm. He storms in and he's like, what are you doing, basically? And then he says, like, David may as well have taken an ad out in the Bloods and Crips newsletter. And like... Steve is l digging a hole and just going lower and lower and lower by being like, hey, I have a court order where I could get in trouble and you're making this bad. And I'm like, Steve, then just don't do it. Like, this right. is your deal. Back out. And he does, but like he makes it about Jawan and not about him violating his own court order, which, by the way, if you violate your court order, guess what you get? a parole officer, and possible jail time. Steve. Well, and that was kind of my point. It's like, what's the difference right now between Juwan and Steve? Hmm? Like, Steve has a court order. Juwan has a parole officer. There's not a huge difference, except one of these two is a complete asshole. And his name rhymes with Cleave. He just infuriates me. Nonstop, yes. like literally, I can't. I can't like Steve anymore. I don't care what he does in the future. And I think Ian Ziering is a very attractive man, but I see Steve <laughs> on the screen and my blood is going to boil. It just is a challenge because you, you see potential in a person. And then we go from like loving Steve in his short shorts and seeing him be vulnerable with Rush and be vulnerable with Kelly and, and with, um, person from the assisted living home oh Saul? yeah maybe sorry that, right? that sounds right but we see him in all these beautiful vulnerable emotional moments but then we're constantly reminded like he's only emotional and vulnerable when it's like subservient right like mm -hmm. 
it's well, never in a way that confirms like what kind of growth he's experiencing or what kind of strides he's making as a human being or that he's even just growing up in general and it's really really frustrating yeah he is emotional and vulnerable with a very specific subset of people yeah and he bails he totally bails he doesn't want to go tonight literally like the next time we see him he's at the frat house with brandon and kelly yep so he's gone Jawan and his friends are there for sound check hanging out with david and Valerie calls from a limo <laughs> because she's going to Reno. Yes, she is. I have so many questions. How can she afford a limo? I assume she is maxing out credit cards. Mm-hmm. And the I, like, this is why you don't sell a club to a 20-year-old <laughs> because she's just like, yeah, I'm not coming tonight. And David's like, well, Jawan, I guess you and I are running the club. Yeah. Which I guess, like, hierarchy-wise, it probably should have gone to Claire, but because David's, like, the talent at this point. But, hey, who am I to judge? I don't know the the org chart at the pee pad. So. Well, and it doesn't sound like Claire is very open to the idea of managing this hip-hop night. Like, I think she says it earlier in the episode that it's, like, her versus David, where she had her Mm -hmm. open mic night, and now David has his hip-hop night. And we know that she doesn't like hip-hop. She's told him before they can't have hip-hop at the pee pad. Yeah, like she's all into alternative music. But hey, you know what? Joke's on her because hip-hop night is a success. The pee pad is hopping. Even Willie came to support Jawan. Nat comes up to him telling him like, hey, man, enjoy this. He looks good. He's having fun. Like, blah, blah, blah. Donna and Claire show up to show David some support. And they both are looking at David on stage as well as Jawan, they they both notice it. And Jawan keeps kind of giving David crap because they're both looking at him and, and you know, they're both his ex-girlfriends. And Jawan's like, hey, man, I think that one's giving you some big eyes. And they was like, nah, she's my ex too, blah, 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 blah. Turns out, no, 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 she is giving him some of those big eyes. I definitely love that Jawan is like, you can say she's your ex, but I know big eyes when I see big eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, you know, they don't know this because it's a conversation that Donna and Claire have, but like, it is very clear what Claire is thinking because she's asking Donna, like, oh my God, how do you stay friends with people when you break up with them? While Mm -hmm. she's like, David's kind of hot on stage. (laughs) Because she's never seen it before. She had no idea. Well, and we know the issue with David and Claire was never attraction. You know, they, they always like were hot for each other. It just... David has feelings for Donna, so it had to end. Which I guess those feelings are just gone because Donna is in a relationship with someone else. I guess so. <laughs> that stopped David before. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But outside yeah. the club, Bloody Rue wants to get in. But they're not on the list, but they have cash. And they see the picture of Val on the outside of the pee pad. Um, because they say they like know Val and then the bouncer's like, Hey, what are you talking about? This is Val. And they're like, what? And the bleach blonde bloody Rue member has a slightly better accent, but only slightly. Slightly. I mean, it's only in comparison to HUD. Oh my gosh. But all that to say, yeah, they pay off the doorman. They come in and they're just rowdy and furious. And I don't know. Cause they start just like 
shouldering up against people and then they just flat out push a server and like topple beer bottles all over the place. I mean, like, HUD throws a damn speaker. I just, ugh. And like it devolves so far. Like they jump on the stage. Jawan's friends like back him up and are just like, look, you need to get off the stage. I'm ready to fight you. And then they call hip hop monkey music and my entire body shriveled up and died. I, mm, I cannot. And somehow with all of this that's happening and like somebody, I think it's one of John's friends is like, I have a gun. Like Mm -hmm. we can deal with this right now. Like David walks over and is like, he's not worth it, man. And then it just dies and Joanne leaves his friends away to squash it, man. We out. Yeah. And then because that wasn't enough for HUD and the Bloody Rue band to like, quote unquote, win the stage, they have to throw more equipment in front of not a crowd. I know. Literally everyone leaves. And I think it was Willie or Nat or maybe both of them like had called the cops the second they showed up. Mm-hmm. And which is quite a thing because I feel like Willie knowing Jawan and his friends would be like, we cannot call the cops until these kids are gone. True. Good point. But they do whatever. All these guys end up on stage alone cheering for themselves and destroying equipment. Yep. And then we get a scene where Val has shown up in Reno and tells Ray the club runs itself. And that Donna sent her. (laughs) Like, Valerie, my girl, (laughs) you couldn't possibly know. She could have no – there's no way she knows what's happening at her club. But, like, you're going to look so stupid when you come back, presumably with Ray, and the club is genuinely destroyed. You have thousands of dollars of damage and equipment, and you had to have the cops show up. Because the cops have shown up at the pee pad twice now. People Mm -hmm. are going to stop coming. Exactly. But no, she doesn't know this because she's in Reno. Um, What she also doesn't know is that Bloody Rue, yeah, gets arrested. Um, You know, the cop showed up again. Um, Luckily, you know, Willie says that he's proud of Juwan for not fighting. Um, But Claire points out some pretty big flaws (laughs) as to why this night was not a success. Uh, There was no security. The front of the club was a mess. Like, everything was just, it just went wrong. Um... And, you know, at first, David responds to that to get angry and basically think like, oh, well, you're just mad because my hip hop night and stops talking. And Juwan's like, hey, David, and does this, this squash it thing again. Um, and he does. He he gets a little nicer, gets a little less heated. And then I don't know how I feel about this. I just thought it was a cute delivery mm-hmm. where... You know, Claire's, like, telling him how hot it was to see him perform. Like, it was almost so hot that it almost made her, like, hip-hop. And then she kisses him and tells him that that is just a preview of coming attractions. Claire and David part two. Which I was like, okay, that's very Claire. Um, So I thought it was cute. And Dave was like, I don't know. I feel like sequels are pretty underrated. And I'm like, all right, all right. You didn't need to say that, David. <laughs> just They're just together for the sex. And I think as long as they understand that too, I'm fine with it. But like yeah. y'all just broke up. 
I know. And there's so much to deal with. And you haven't even told her about Portland and like, yeah, I just, it was kind of cute just because it was very clear. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's a thing and we'll see how it plays out because I feel like it's going to go pretty fast personally. Mm -hmm. Back in Reno, Valerie has taken Ray out for a steak dinner. (laughs) And it's like, Donna needs you back in LA and Donna's my friend and I want to help her. And thankfully, Ray is just like, oh, the club is failing. I can work with you if you need me for business reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, he and he like adequately points out, he's like, well, it's always about you, Valerie. So like he knows that she's not doing anything to just be a good friend to Donna and to just help Ray's music career. No, no. She needs his help. Yeah. And he's like, I can do that on my terms. Yep. And And so presumably Ray will be coming back with Val. Exactly. And like even we get one final scene between them, like wherever Ray was performing or wherever he was, like Valerie meets up with him and he's he says like he's looking forward to going back and playing. He's looking forward to seeing Donna. And then he's like, you really are different, aren't you, Valerie? And like we all see through that. The audience knows she's not changed. And then she almost confirms it by saying, this is Reno, Ray. Why don't we just roll the dice and see what happens? I'm like, honey, it's Reno, not Vegas. (laughs) But then Ray says, no way. Um, And she says, good. Like, so I'm like, okay, I, I still don't think she's changed, but at least she's like checking in on Ray's intentions, I guess. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, Valerie doesn't need Ray to sleep with her. Valerie Mm -hmm. needs Ray to perform for her club so that it it makes money so she makes money. So it seems like it was a litmus test for that more than it was like, are you still attracted to to me? Of course you are. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing is like, because she has Dylan now, she doesn't need Ray and therefore they can have that professional relationship. Mm-hmm. Even if it's still rooted in lies and manipulation and whatever Valerie is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I totally forgot to mention the thing that I was so excited about. I know. I just realized that too. <laughs> so earlier when Warren and Brandon saw Val in her robe, um, we get that brief scene, but then we follow Val back into her room and she lays on the bed to call uh what did she call Ray? Right. Yeah, she calls Ray and Ray now. Homie has a rose tattoo on her ankle. Uh it's an angel. <laughs> and yes, it? she does. It looked like a rose, man. I Googled it because okay. I was like, uh, that's a tattoo. Come on. Is it Tiffany's? Yeah, so that's Tiffany's, and then the daisy on her shoulder is also actually Tiffany's. Like, I think that's a real tattoo. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I spent a long time Googling Tiffany Amber Thiessen tattoos and learning <laughs> that there is too much information on the internet about celebrities and their tattoos. <laughs> of course there is. For a while, she had a green heart on her stomach for Brian Austin Green. No. Yep. No. Yep. According to think- like famoustattoos.com or wherever I found it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so she has, like, a blue-green lotus on her hip now. Do you think that's a cover-up? I think it's absolutely a cover-up. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. No, I spent too much time. 
too much time. I think she's my new favorite actress. <laughs> I just love it so much that they're like, she got her very first tattoo. And then immediately the next episode, they don't cover up her other tattoo. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I laughed so hard. So, so hard. she has at minimum three tattoos. At minimum. I imagine there are more that we just haven't seen yet. Oh, my gosh. I wonder how her husband reacted because she's been with her husband for like over a decade at this point. So I'm curious if he if she got it covered up before they got married or if he like legit knows the whole story. That would be hilarious conversation. Why do you have a green heart? Well, <laughs> I dated a boy once and his last name is green. <laughs> That's why you don't get those kinds of tattoos. I mean, no judgment. Like, that's hilarious. But, like, oh, my God. I don't know that I would ever, like, admit that after the fact. I mean, she's famous, so people probably knew it early on. But, like. Right. Like, I have two tattoos that technically match John's, and one is purposeful, and one is just a happy accident. Right. But I feel like if someone was like, hey, why did you get that mushroom tattoo? I wouldn't be like, me and my boyfriend did that together. I'm sorry, ex-boyfriend. Like, I wouldn't do that. Right. I would just say, oh, yeah, I used to really like playing Mario. Like, you know, whatever it ended up with. My birthstone is um, an emerald or something, you know. So I got a green mushroom. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't even Uh, know if I can talk about anything that happens the rest of this episode. (laughs) So continuity out the window. Gone. We talked about it last week about continuity and how much viewers, like, narrow in on it but how actors don't (laughs) so i do want to talk about dylan but i don't have a ton to say about dylan basically he is starting to do all of this regression therapy with the doctor and we see some of it like at one point he's next to train tracks next to like a model t and a trash can fire and a phone rings and pulls him out of it. And it's a spam call. And I left so hard. So he, you know, finishes his first regression, gets completely thrown off by the phone call. And they decide like, okay, we're going to try this again. The next time they try it again, Dylan sees a train and he sees two people like making out on this train and it's him and this other woman. And he's a writer but he's not published. He's like still hopping trains and everything. And then past Dylan sucks. And this guy stops the train, comes in, grabs this woman and drags her away. And he doesn't do anything. And like really fucks him up. Like he is so upset when he gets back to like present day Dylan. Yeah. The only thing I'll comment there is like the guy who comes on the train to I guess find Dylan and and that woman calls Dylan Mac, like Ooh, as a name. Yeah, yeah I didn't so pick I'm like, that up. hmm. I mean, I know McKay, like MC, oh. but like you don't think of it as Mac K. You know, it's yeah. McKay. So well, and so he ends up telling the doctor about this, and she's like, you know, maybe someone hurt you in a previous life. Like we have to keep going further back to figure out what has happened in all these lives to bring you to where you are today yeah so it's like it's basically just like this very early intro very quick to be like this is what's happening with dylan he's not done yet 
which I'm not mad about. Like I actually kind of like the pace we're going at with the hypnotism because I think it's safe to assume the audience would be just as skeptical Mm -hmm. with hypnotism as Dylan is. Yeah. So yeah, I have no problem with this. And I love that they're like, we're going to find out the truth about you and an introspective journey for Dylan just feels right. It really does. I mean, he's, He's probably the person that needs it the most, you know, with the exception of perhaps Kelly, but they kind of already went there with the whole cult storyline. So I'm not Mm -hmm. mad that, you know, I I like that it's Dylan now being the focus for that sort of thing. Yeah. No, it makes me happy. And like you said, I really like this pacing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a quote of the week before I start guessing? I sure do. I do. I have one. Um, okay, so I wrote down really stupid quotes. I'm sorry. Um, but Warren or little boy, was that that was his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Warren saying, I don't like it when people yell at me. <laughs> Aww. I was like, you know what? I don't either. Who does? <laughs> um, but God, I had like three quotes from him in a row. Like, how'd you get here? Duh, I took a cab. <laughs> <laughs> Smarty pants. But yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. That was my favorite one. So it was none of those, but um, I, I did enjoy all those. So that thank you for that. Um, mine was when Claire and Donna were at the pee pad earlier during the whole fish thing. And Donna's like, everyone's at their throats, like la la la. And Claire just says in such Claire fashion, well, maybe we should go next door and consume excess fat grams to pacify our negative emotions towards men. <laughs> I almost wrote that down, and then it took so long, so I just didn't do it. Kind of Claire, right? Like I like that is so Claire, and the way she delivered it, and like pacifier negative emotions towards me, like so. It's so <laughs> so Claire. almost feminist, but not you know. So Claire, I love it. All right, Mary. What about you? Um. God, it's really hard to settle on a moment of the week, but I got to say, Brandon going full Brandon on a child was really fun to watch. It's like peak full Brandon. And yeah. I feel like, like we called it. Yeah. We were like, the next time he goes full Brandon, we're not going to want it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, just, I wrote down like from that scene, like Brandon tells him, this school doesn't want him, so kindly fuck off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much exactly. Yeah, in so many words. All right. Well, we did it. We did it. What's next week, Caitlin? Thank God we got through that one. Um, Next week, we have season five, episode 28, Girls on the Side. Oh, I got nothing, but I don't feel good about it. Well, this is one that I accidentally looked ahead on the synopsis, so I think we're going to be excited to talk about this one, at least in, in a partial way. Damn it. Okay. All right. I'm not going to guess because you already know what it is. I don't want to Yeah. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> All right. Well, I will find out what happens next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email if you have any questions, your thoughts, your comments, or your concerns, or just, I don't know, just give us your thoughts on Steve. I'm actually really curious both how people thought about Steve back in the original watch and and kind of back in the 90s, as well as if you're watching uh, uh, this show with us now, have your feelings changed? Are they still the same? Give us a defense of Steve. I mean, I'd be happy to feel better about Steve, so just 
We're open to all of it. Um, but do that at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, like, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All of those things really help us. We really appreciate you doing it. And if you give us a review, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm happy, Chancellor happy. I may be white, but I ain't no vanilla. And I'm really sorry, Australia, for what this episode implied about you. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. See ya.